Welcome to Hollywood 2.0. I'm with the host Peter Katz. On today's show, we have Mark Long, CEO of Meteor Entertainment, the company that's launching Hawken, the much-anticipated free-to-play game. Hawken has a 50,000-word transmedia bible, expanding the story world as a web series, comic, novel, and eventually a film franchise. After you see the epic mech combat footage from this game, you'll understand why the story deserves to live on so many platforms. I've been in the game industry about 19 years. Um, I founded a studio with my partner Joanna Alexander here in Seattle called Zombie. Um, I produced 31 video games in that time period. And last uh, fall, Mitch Lasky at uh, Benchmark Capital asked me to come over and run a new uh, free-to-play publishing company that he was building around Adhesive Studios, the, the creators of Hawken. And I jumped at the chance because I just love Hawken like everybody else. When I saw it on the web, I just completely spazzed out and became obsessed with everything Hawken. Um, I'm also uh, a graphic novel author. I have a book out, uh, The Silence of Our Friends, which is semi-autobiographical about growing up in Houston, Texas during the Civil Rights Movement. And um, that is part of uh, my interest in uh, transmedia production, which is producing uh, IP that's spread across uh, various media simultaneously. So comics, graphic novels, web videos, feature film, anime, that kind of thing. What influenced the world of Hawken? Yeah, King Lee, the creative visionary behind Hawken, is synthesizing a lot of things that you know well, like, uh, well, Blade Runner, Ghost in the Shell. He's also Vietnamese, and if you look at, you know, the levels with kind of uh, a Saigon filter, you'll see that that kind of influence, the overbuild, the kind of colorful signage. Um, but he's also referencing uh, a very obscure mech toy line called Machina Krieger, which uh, was a popular uh, toy or model set in Tokyo in the late 80s, early 90s. And it was, I think, really one of the first uh, toys to, to kit bash, which is, you know, take uh, parts from different things and mix them together. So it has this World War II design grammar mixed with kind of Ghost in the Shell, Mechas, that, that kind of thing. I can't really put my finger on it. When I look at clips of the game, I feel nostalgic. Yeah, it's really, you know, Kang uh, is a concept artist by training. Um, and what's really interesting about what he's done, it's kind of hard to articulate, but when you step back and look at the level, it just works organically as a complete aesthetic where in video games often there's a concept we call hero models where there's a there's a kind of a signature piece in the level that really stands out and everything else is kind of designed at a different resolution or not really designed to call too much attention to itself because it needs to be replicated throughout the level but he's managed to kind of down res all the elements so that together organically they have this rich detailed uh, feel and it, it looks on the one hand realistic on the other hand you know very uh, anime sci-fi influence it's quite a depth trip 
the vehicles have a very real physical quality to them. Yeah, when you get your hands on the control, it's another one of these ineffable qualities where, you know, the mechs on the one hand feel like they have the correct weight and uh, inertia, uh, but on the other hand, it, it has a lot of the velocity of uh, a modern first-person shooter. I noticed how Hawken had a very ambitious transmedia strategy. How were you able to tackle all these different challenges on a business and creative level? Yeah, I know to the fans, you know, what I want to say is like it may look overly ambitious for a title that hasn't even come out to have all this media in production. But if I think about the stuff that I really love and geek out on, like The Matrix or even Prometheus with this transmedia uh, marketing campaign, like the, the fake TED Talk, like that just, that TED Talk captured my imagination more than the trailers. Like to a degree, I felt like the trailers revealed too much before the film. And it's illustrative of how we like to consume media now. Like we're, all these devices are almost equally important, like feature film, like the theatrical experience. Uh, I won't say that it's diminished, but it has a lot of competition now with, uh, you know, stuff I might find on YouTube or a video game, or I love graphic novels and comics. And uh, this led me to the idea that instead of blowing our marketing and advertising budget on a bunch of web ads that people don't really care about, I'd like to make rich media content, you know, kind of creative collateral around this world that could be discovered across the various media that, you know, gamers enjoy, which is graphic novels, comics, web video, feature film, anime, and all those uh, things are in production. It, now, it, but I'm just saying, like, tying it all together, was it like a TV show where you have, like, a story Bible that makes sure that every, everyone who's moving on whether or not it's the graphic novel, the book, uh, the web series, that there's this connective tissue holding it all together? Yeah, exactly. You know, not all intellectual property can be applied this way. It needs to be kind of encyclopedic in nature. You think of The Lord of the Rings, and not only do you have a whole world, but you have uh, different classes of characters, like, different societies, you have different uh, languages and music. It needs to really be that rich to really work. If you try to spread, you know, thin material or a single concept, it, it, it'll, it'll fall apart, right? So the first thing you produce, you're exactly right, is a Transmedia Bible. Uh, our Transmedia Bible on Hawken is 50,000 words over 200 pages. And it describes every element, glossary, hierarchy, history uh, of the world like an encyclopedia. And then it goes into outlining story treatments for each of the various media as, as trilogies. So there's a trilogy of feature films, a trilogy of web series, of graphic novels, uh, a comic series. There's a prose novel, which I've forgotten to mention. Uh, and the way this works, and it, it sounds like you're doing the writer's job, for example, on, on the feature. But actually, they really appreciate that. You know, in Hollywood, what often happens is real skilled writers brought in, and they're told, like, hey, uh, so it's Pretty Woman meets Die Hard. You know, now go write that thing. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and they're like, what 
you know, what the hell does that mean? Pretty women die hard. Okay, I'll go try it. And they'll bring it back, and the guy says, hey, this isn't pretty women die hard. And he's like, you know, they just don't have enough to work with. So you give them a lot of structure, and it actually frees them to do more. They're not having to solve the fundamental problems. They're able to go to the next level and produce a, a, a more nuanced uh, story, if you will. Marvel has been successful at protecting the continuity of the story world for every movie they produce. Who's responsible for protecting the continuity for all the different stories coming out of the world of Hawken? Well, the first thing is the guy with the money controls everything. So if you're going to uh, these various you know, media outlets and you're asking for their money, then they're going to want to put their imprimatur on it. That's what happened to like the early versions of the Avengers and all these other comic series that are finally being done right, right? Um, so we're able to finance or at least uh, put into a prototype level of production to show what it is we're looking for. And that makes us much more uh, powerful in negotiating uh, you know, the execution of all these pieces. But really, in good transmedia, you always need a single visionary. Like in The Matrix, it was the Wachowski brothers. They might have let uh, all the anime artists and directors do exactly what they wanted within the Animatrix, but it was really them that had the vision, so they bring it back to them and say, is this better, is that better? And they're able to make creative decisions so that it all uh, obeys the canon of the world. Who would be like the Wachowski brothers of Hawkins? that are like kind of the almost like the showrunner of a TV show that's ke keeping it consistent. Oh, that's uh, King Lee and the team at Adhesive. You know, Hawken is their baby. Uh, all the original ideas are theirs. And so the team that's producing the Transmedia Bible is really just executing their vision. I, I see what you're saying. So there's an architect to it and then everyone's kind of building it out, working with them. That's true. And... Uh, I noticed that you mentioned the transmedia approach versus traditional advertising, how that's a kind of a, you know, it's kind of what people were thinking, where do we put our money into in it? And it looks like traditional advertising is almost like it's trying to interrupt an activity while the transmedia stuff that people are trying to pull towards themselves. Is that kind of right? Give that yeah, some, sometimes by professionals it's called inbound marketing where I'm going to try and find it instead of, as you said, imposing it on uh, the player or the viewer. Again, that Prometheus trailer, like once I saw it, I watched it several times because I was so engaged by what they were doing. It created an entire mystery. I mean, he kept using the myth of Prometheus and, uh, but what did that mean relative to the film? We knew the film's called Prometheus. I knew the ship was called Prometheus, but how did that tie in with the idea of uh, this character that stole fire from the gods and then was punished for it? it uh, that approach is so much more rich and it, it is much more satisfactory to the, I'll call them hyper-sophisticated uh, media consumers that we all are now. Do you think more producers are going to try out the Hawken approach tackling films, TV shows, web series, comics, all the different platforms from inception? 
I, I don't know about that. I, you know, I spent a lot of time in LA and, and with my colleagues in Hollywood, and there's certainly that ambition, but it's very difficult to pull off. First of all, as I said, it's hard to find a story that's appropriate, that has this, you know, kind of uh, exceeds your reach, um, exceeds your ability to master the material worlds, right? And uh, also, uh, you know, if, you, if you're working for a studio in Hollywood, that's your job. Like, it's not your job to make sure the video game is a good one or the graphic novel. That's usually somebody over in licensing. There's no cross incentives. It really takes a visionary from the outside to bring their material to the various uh, companies that we're working with to exploit it. You know, we're working with Arkea to publish the graphic novel, Funimation on the anime, Disruption Pictures for the feature film. Um, that'll end up at one of the major studios. So it's a, it's a broad spectrum of other uh, media companies that you uh, have to work with because no single company really is capable of Sometimes with having these big movies, people involved lose sight of what the initial vision for the game was. Yeah, but certainly there are producers whose ambition is to do that. Like our, our uh, partners uh, at Disruption Pictures are Mary Parent and Kel Boitner. Mary used to run MGM and it was her burning uh, desire to see Halo made into a film that was worthy of video games. She also had acquired Gears of War at a different point. Um, and that was one of the reasons we wanted to partner with them. They really uh, got it. And you know, even though they weren't able to pull off Halo or Gears of War, that wasn't going to stop them. They were going to um, keep trying. She, by the way, produced District 9, which Oh my God! I came out of that movie. It was like, where is the video game? <laughs> you know those weapons. Every time he picked up a new weapon, it did something crazy, unexpected, and uh, I just kept thinking, Oh my God! If I could play that game right now, I would love it. But they, you know, they were focused on the movie and didn't have the capability to simultaneously produce games. So it's almost like you simultaneously need to be an outsider and an insider to pull off something this ambitious. Yeah, and I would also be so bold to say that it's going to be, it's going to come from the game side. Uh, because of our, our orientation to storytelling is world building. Like, if you ask a, uh, somebody that just played a cool new game, you'll ask, what can you do? If you, if you ask them about a movie they saw, you would say, well, what happened? One version is very passive, one's very active, right? Yeah, and so we approach things kind of from an encyclopedic uh, tendency, right? We build everything first in our heads and in design, and then we see what you could do in this world. And story, uh, you know, uh, probably to our detriment, kind of comes last. With uh, movies, the first thing the writer will ask is. Why, why now? Why do I tell this story now? What, why do you care about this character and what happens to them? Films usually feel like a one-off story, while TV shows and comics and video games feel like a sustainable story world. Yeah, films like a roller coaster, right? It's designed for certain highs and lows emotionally. And increasingly, I feel manipulated by that media, where uh, our media is all about discovery and... Uh, you know, interaction, 
driven by yourself. It feels so much more immediate. I had the amazing opportunity to meet with Guillermo del Toro a couple of weeks ago. He has a video game that was at THQ and he's looking for someone to publish it. And uh, I showed him Hawk and to kind of explain what we were doing and he just you know freaked out completely over it. Then he showed me um, Pacific Rim, the trailer that they showed at Comic-Con and I freaked out, <laughs> giant robot freak out party together. Awesome. But I was blown away by his um, intelligence in game design. Like he referenced some really obscure games from the mid late nineties in his design. And then he said, you know, I'm a dinosaur 10 years from now, I'm gonna be like an operetta uh, writer. <laughs> My media is going away, your media is ascending and he wants to get into this space. I think he's overstating that. I don't believe they'll, you know, feature film like his will be uh, going away in 10 years, but certainly, you know, the next 100 years belongs to um, interactive media where the last 100 years belong to, um, you know, cinematic media. Do you, do you think because of this, executives are going to evolve into almost like transmedia executives because they're going to have to be able to have cross disciplines to be able to navigate all these new waters? Like I think so. I mean, to a degree, the, the best producers and directors already do that. Um, if you think about masterful auteurs like Spielberg, you tend to forget uh, all the things that he's producing simultaneously or has produced. Um, so really, the, the people that we really love in this space are already in it. So these major changes are happening right now. Right. And if you look at a studio like Warner Brothers, for example, which owns DC Comics and um, their new uh, H-plus channel, or their web series, their uh, cable and terrestrial channels, they really have the capability to execute across the full spectrum. So does Disney, right? Um, yeah. Even with theme parks. Uh, the problem is each of the divisions are not cross-incentivized to cooperate with each other. It's not that they don't want to do it. It's just that I don't get a better bonus at the end of the year for the video game being good because I'm a movie producer over here. There's no crossover. But I think eventually you'll see the ascendancies of uh, transmedia producers who do have those uh, capabilities. I think it's a perfect time for the film industry to evolve and people from the world of games can help lead that innovation. Yeah, and if you think about it, games are kind of the very last piece. All these major, um, we call them studios, but they're really international conglomerates. Um, they, uh, video games, they've, they've tried a couple of times, mostly failed. Again, you see Warner Brothers extremely successful in this space, right? Yeah. Um, I think it's only a matter of time. Or it could be that companies like uh, EA or Activision end up acquiring a movie studio because they're um, they're much more profitable and their stock prices are doing better. Sometimes. It's interesting to think that a film studio could become an extension of a video game company. That makes sense when you consider how easy it is to steal films off of BitTorrent sites, but much harder to take video games. Yeah, I think about Activision's has, if you, if you compare them to a major Hollywood studio, they have the their dream is the ability to annualize a billion dollar franchise like 
Call of Duty or World of Warcraft. Um, these guys have built enduring global brands, and uh, the movie studios love you know the ability to do that. They're business is uh, less predictable yeah it's like a hit-based business but at the same time once they have them it's hard to hold on to them longer than one film so it's almost like you have to earn the trust again and start the whole marketing machine but with a game if it's monthly uh people are playing it it's, it's if you get them it's probably a lot easier to hold on to them yeah i think because you invest in these worlds so much more you spend so much more time in them um sometimes more money and um you know related to money, um, increasingly free-to-play titles like Hawking will be, are orders of magnitude more profitable than a feature film. Like the biggest films, you know, hit a billion, um, right, or even more. But most films gross um, somewhere around 100 to 150 million. Well, in free-to-play, that would be like three months of revenue for, for a company like uh, Riot. Are you trying to have the fans migrate from one platform to another, let's say from graphic novel to video games, or are you trying to cater to each unique fan on the specific platform of a choice? I think we're very much catering to their taste. Like one part of transmedia that's not often articulated is uh, there's a profound sense of ownership in the community. Think about like Team Fortress 2, um, you know, the, the community actually creates the content in that game. Valve stopped, you know, making any new virtual items to sell. sell. It's all made by the community and it, it has its own economy, like the price structures even defined by the community. It's something that I saw, if, if you've been to Comic-Con or Anybody has seen pictures of Comic-Con, you see all the great cosplay outfits and all yeah. that. And it does, you know, in the back of your mind, it's like, that's a little weird, you know, that these people <laughs> get so crazy and they dress up. But when you go there, particularly if you go there with a piece of your, uh, you know, your own graphic novel or comic and you're on the other side of the table, you have this kind of aha moment. Like, it's a pretty small community. I, I mean, even 300 the graphic novel before the film came out only sold 28,000 copies. It is literally possible to meet every single one of your fans <laughs> at one of the major conventions. And and the fans are the creators. Like, they they're, uh, love that uh, world and aesthetic. So there's a really deep uh, exchange and a sense of ownership on both sides of the intellectual property. And I think when you look at some producers, directors, writers like Josh Whedon that come out of that community, that, that's, or Guillermo del Toro, I mean, they embrace their fan base. They, they don't, uh, oh, what's the word, they don't fawn over them. They're not, you know, just doing anything to uh, garner their attention. Instead, they are one another. Guillermo, when I visit his office, is like wall-to-wall graphic novels and monster toys everywhere. So you're creating a creative platform for all your different fans. Yeah, and you know when we get into uh, Kang and the Adhesive guys, certainly are the own the creative vision. But when you get into these design sessions where we go to the next level in terms of story and character and, and world and building, uh, there's somebody that kind of owns that space, like a graphic novel author, a feature film uh, director, writer, producers. And they kind of fight for the best version of 
their media, right? Like that story element belongs here, um, not there. I see. So, so you're not trying to do because sometimes people try to do the one size fits all. You're trying to make sure that each each experience is um, people value it because you're making sure that it's unique that fit the medium. Yeah, and I think game designers we're very guilty of, of uh, you know really wanting to be deeper storytellers like in Hollywood, but not being as skilled. Like we're great world builders, but we have very little training in, in uh, story and character. And I think it's really important to have somebody who's expert on your um, you know Jedi Council of Designers to um, protect that uh, element. So each one of us fights for our best version and I think in the end we everybody is elevated by it. Alright so last question for you is um, who are you looking out to like who do you kind of like study or read or that's in the world of transmedia or just overall just it could just be just the entertainment industry if there's any figures that did you draw inspiration from? Uh, well I would say the Warchowskis above all. Um, I know right now I think the watermark for me is the Matrix. If you remember when the second matrix came out there was this huge anticipation there was the animatrix the comics um the feature film uh and they managed to tie all those things together if you played the video game or if you watched the animatrix one of the shorts uh characters are trying to get this letter into a mailbox in the game Ghost and Niobe are trying to get that letter out of the mail system to Morpheus. And if you saw the movie, there's a scene where Ghost arrives and he delivers the letter. And the letter tells him that the machines are uh, drilling towards Zion and they're going to arrive in a certain amount of time. Each one of those pieces, you didn't need to see the others for it to work. But if you did all three, you were like, oh, that's so cool. All three were tied together in this very subtle but extremely important uh, story element. And uh, for me, uh, I've rarely experienced anything that well done. I think the Dead Space series, uh, EA was done really well. They had a marketing budget they weren't really able to exploit to the level I imagine they hoped they could. But if you looked at how all the pieces fit together, I thought that was a great job. And then sometimes it, it was surprising if you go back and look um, uh, even at movies like True Grit, the directors uh, produced an excellent uh, comic, a one-shot that was released before the film that did the backstory of the, what's her character, Maggie, I think, the, the young uh, female. So sometimes it, you don't notice these things going on unless you're particularly interested, but there are a lot of creatives out there that are working hard to express themselves in this area. That makes sense. Well, hey, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Cool. Thanks for talking to me. No problem. You have a good day. You too. Yo. Hey, it goes science. Yeah, science is amazing. Email me questions, ideas, suggestions, whatever to catsfilms at gmail.com. It's K-A-T-Z. Check me out at petercats.net. Where's my hoverboard? Yeah, I mean I know you've been missing